Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we are streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you are new to the Radio Islam family, we're on every evening from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, coming to you from Chicago. And you can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to stop by RadioIslam.com. You can also check out all of our past episodes, uh, guest bios, information. Just keep up with the news, the goings-ons and stuff uh, with the program. Uh, And last but not least, for all you podcasters, uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. We are on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, basically anywhere that you're going to get your podcast, and you will find us as you would on social media at Radio Islam USA. All right. Uh, Radio Islam family, as you know, we, we pride ourselves on having conversations uh, that, are, that are meaningful, having uh, guests that can, uh, that can share uh, important information, uh, and to basically to expand our, our consciousness and our ability to act uh, in response to the things that are going on in the world today. So that said, uh, I am really happy to have on the line with us today, uh, Brother Ilshat Hassan, uh, and he is the president of the Uyghur American Association. He's also the director of the World Uyghur Congress, uh, the Chinese Affairs Committee, and we welcome him to Radio Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Thanks for having me. Oh, it, it is our pleasure. And uh, I'm so glad to have you on. Uh, you know, I just kind of just want to just jump right in. Um, we've talked about uh, the the uh, the horrific treatment that the Uyghur are have been subjected to um, uh, to date in China. And uh, one of the things that I recently saw was an article that talked about how the intellectuals, of the Uyghur community are now being targeted. Uh, but for those who are not familiar, who may have not heard those past episodes where we talked about the Uyghur, could you give the Radio Islam family, uh, just kind of give them a tutorial as to who the Uyghur are and, and what is the present day condition? Uyghur people uh, was having a long history uh, from the ancient time and uh, it was written, uh, recorded in the Chinese, Persian, Arabic, uh, all the historic books. And in modern day, since uh, 1888, uh, uh, the Manqing dynasty, mm-hmm. after uh, conquers China, and they also, after 100 years after conquered China, they conquered our land. So we were under the Manqing Empire, and in 1911, Manqing Empire was uh, overthrown by Chinese revolutionary, and uh, we also started to get our independence, and we had modern-day two republics. One is established in 1933, uh, 12th of, uh, of November. The first one is Turkestan Islamic Republic, and uh, it was destroyed by Soviet Red Army together with the Chinese uh, Occupation Army, Nationalist Army. Mm-hmm. And then in 1944, the same day, 12th of November, uh, we had another one, East Turkestan Republic, uh, established again in the East Turkestan, uh, in the industry city, Wulja. And it existed until 1949, the communist takeover, and uh, by the help of the Stalin Soviet Union. So we lost our uh, independence since 1949, last one. And in 1955, in October, the communist Chinese set up another one, uh, special region. Its name is Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. Mm-hmm. which means the government, Chinese government, according to their constitution, granted Uyghur people 
the autonomous right. But it was only on the paper. It's not in reality because they uh, controlled all our sources, its natural sources or human sources, whatever, uh, through the party system. They always have a party boss. He is the higher than any Uyghur administration official. So since then, we are continue struggling for our freedom, our dignity, our cultural preservation, our Islamic identity. And the Chinese, uh, before the reform, 1978, the Chinese economy was very weak. The Chinese communist country was very weak. So they used other means uh, to uh, destroy our culture by uh, migrating a lot of Chinese to our region. In 1949, the Chinese population in our region was less than 6%. Mm-hmm. 6%. And now, the Chinese population, according to the Chinese statistics, it's already in 40, 48 or 40, close to 50. But it's only wow. the population they uh, counted no military and no paramilitary and in our region they have another one uh, kind of independent organization it is called agricultural industrial uh, production corps mm-hmm. this corps is not belong to the Uyghur autonomous regions administration it is directly uh, get their orders from the central government from China they have more than six, 60 million population. So if we are counting this all, then the Chinese uh, population now is more than the Uyghur population, or even include all other Turkish uh, Muslim minorities uh, population. And in especially after the reform, so-called reform in 1978, mm-hmm. Chinese government intentionally sidelined, marginalized the Uyghur, Kazakh, Uzbek, the Kyrgyz, all uh, Muslim Turkish minority, and encouraging the Chinese to monopolize all local products. For example, the cotton. Mm-hmm. It was the China's number one export uh, product, cotton. And the second one is uh, the tomato paste in Central Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, export to Central Asia or other Islamic country. And also, we have very uh, abundance of the uh, oil, natural gas, and gold, and some other uh, elements. So this land becomes the Chinese uh, explore ground. And also, China started to test their nuclear weapon mm-hmm. in our land starting from 1966 and it was very 200 kilometer less than 200 kilometer uh, close to the very populated ancient Uyghur city Turfan which means this people was plotted by the nuclear test uh, something and so we had a lot of disabled uh, kids, uh, peoples. So we are suffering in this uh, nuclear test too. Let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. When it yes. comes to something like that, because the uh, the Uyghur autom- autonomous region, it is a it is a materially uh, rich uh, area. Um, yes. And uh, and then you also mentioned the uh, presence now of, of nuclear uh, materials um, that are that are having an effect on the, the Uyghur uh, who are there. Um, what has been the response of the, uh, of, of the Chinese um, government, uh, in, you know, in, in once this is brought up? Uh, Chinese government, they treated the Chinese people who, uh, uh, because of the nuclear test, they, they, uh, they had some suffering or injury. They give them compensation because most of them was the military guys stationed in that area mm-hmm. and giving them uh, free health care and some other uh, compensations. But for the Uyghur people, 
they just neglected them, ignored their plight, and never giving any medical treatment, any compensation, even they didn't acknowledge this problem is existed. And we have the proof from Japan and from Kazakhstan and from other countries, the scholars study uh, evidence mm-hmm. at the Uyghur people. And also, UK made a movie. You can Google in the uh, YouTube, you can find it, Death on the Silk Road. That was a movie about this uh, nuclear testing affected on the Uyghur people. Right. Mm. Now, one of yeah, the things... basically the government ignored it. Okay. All right. So, and, and this is in light of uh, a uh, of the reality that there are right now, um, what I'm hearing estimates are 2 million people who have been um, incarcerated in these quote-unquote re-education camps, the majority of which are um, Uyghur. Um, yes. Yeah, please uh, go ahead and speak this, about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, for the Uyghur people, because of this mistreatment, they asking for the justice, asking for their uh, freedom, and asking for equal rights. But the Chinese government never acknowledged they mistreated Uyghur, and instead they were thinking Uyghur people is creating problem for the Chinese government, and they say Uyghur people is not loyal to the Chinese government. They are always terrorists or some uh, separatists or sabotage, blah, 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 blah. And after the 2001, 9-1-1 happened in the United States, immediately the Chinese government changed their tone and they are accusing Uyghur because of Uyghur's Muslim background. It's uh, their cultural part of their identity. And they... Uh, the, uh, the Chinese uh, government, I remember very clear, mm-hmm. the second day of the 911 in 2001, mm-hmm. the Chinese officials say, we are also suffering from the international jihadists, and we are facing this terrorism too. And then starting labeling Uyghur people as a terrorist group. Mm-hmm. Whole ethnic group they were labeling, and they were profiling Uyghurs, and they started a smearing campaign to depict Islam as a terrorist uh, ideology, and it's an extreme ideology. So they put in the internet, in the everywhere, even you can find it in today. I have done a research. Mm-hmm. You can find the in the Chinese uh, website, they were insulting Islam, insulting Muslims, and they were saying that the Muslims should be get rid of from the earth uh, because they are all is radical, blah, 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 blah. And with this smearing campaign, the Chinese government very successfully fooled Chinese people. And then starting from 1980s, the Uyghur was excluded from cultural in China from all societies. They were uh, openly discriminated, they were sidelined, and they were mistreated and oppressed. Then this tension became high and high and high. Mm-hmm. And then in 2009, it was a watershed uh, uprising in Urumqi, the Uyghur people, and had a uprising in 5th of July in 2009. Mm-hmm. And in this uprising, we were used, went to the street in the beginning. They were pro- peacefully demonstrating and asking the government to, official to come out, have a dialogue. But the government instead sent the police with a live weapon. They shoot them, they killed them. Then this became a mass uprising. Mm-hmm. Then starting that 2009 and the Chinese government yeah, started mass arresting and in 2009 from 5th of July until end of the year tens of thousands of Uyghur youth get disappeared. No one knows where they ended up until now some mother is crying some father is crying and try to find and uh, since uh, then in 2017 the Chinese central government 
bring the Chen Chenguo, who is the boss or party boss of the Tibet. He is the most cruel, brutal oppressor. And when he was in a party boss in Tibet, the Tibet self-emotion is reached its highest. In the one year, 248 people did self-emotion in Tibet. And wow. Wow. yeah, for his this cruelty, the Chinese central government giving him a promotion, move him from Tibet to our region, become the party boss. Because only in uh, our region's party boss can go to the Communist Party's central standing committee. He becomes the top 20 of communists, one of the top 20. Right. So after he got this promotion encouragement, he started the uh, so-called re-education camp and uh, rounding up all Uyghur, Kazakh, Kyrgyz in this modern-day concentration camp. And they confiscated all Uyghur books because our script is exactly the same as the Arabic script. It's only simplified. Mm -hmm. So they confiscated all Uyghur's book in Uyghur language. And from 2017 of September, they stopped all Uyghur language in education system. Uh, And they go house to house search for Islamic book, search for Uyghur language books, search for prayer carpet, Mm -hmm. uh, searching for anything related to Islam. And the most uh, ridiculous uh, uh, announcement is asking any Uyghur whose name is Muhammad, uh, Shahidullah, and it's a very typical Islamic name, all have to be changed. You cannot use that name as your name. Whoa, whoa. Hold and on. Say that again. They're telling people they have to change their names? Yes. Yes. They're asking the people to change their name. Whatever your age is, you have to change it. If your name is Muhammad, Saifdi, uh, Shahidullah, uh, Iman, uh, what, uh, it's typical Islamic meaning right. or Islamic name. You have to change it. If you are not changing it, you are you end up in jail or in concentration camp. This is uh, in 2016, late. Hmm. Let me ask this. And, uh, let me ask this question to you, um, uh, Brother Ilsha. The so the um, the government is not. They have dis- disenfranchised uh, the Uyghur, uh, whether through and I'm imagining you speaking about employment, um, uh, politics. Uh, you know, within the media, uh, in, in every single way that they can be. And then when uh, uh, Uyghur youth decide to assemble, to protest, they were not met with dialogue. They were met with violence. Um, yes. So so what what this brings me to is uh, I mentioned at the at the outset that there is now what is being reported as an assault, uh, direct assault towards the uh, intellectuals in the Uyghur community. Um, and if if you could speak to that, because the disenfranchised in any population, wherever you're at, it's your people who are able to, uh, to think and to plan. Uh, these become your leaders. Um, and if these are now being attacked as well, uh, then... You know that, that that's a very significant uh, development. Could could you speak a little bit to that? Yes, sir. And uh, uh, while they were rounding up mass, rounding up the Uyghur people, yeah. they first uh, arrested the Uyghur Islamic scholars. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you read it or not. Uh, in 2017, early uh, around March. We heard the big sad news is the first Uyghur Islamic scholar who translated Quran from uh, to Uyghur language, mm-hmm. uh, Muhammad Salih Hadi, he is a leading Islamic scholar in our region mm-hmm. and very famous in Central Asia. He was uh, get arrested and he was sent to concentration camp and he died over there in 80, 84 or 86 age. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. after yes. he was in concentration camp, just a few months. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, following that, um, most of the Uyghur uh, Islamic scholar all was get arrested or get sentenced. Some is died over there. Then from this Islamic side, they go to the secular side. Uh, the scientists, the ling- linguists, and the Turkish historian, uh, Uyghur historian, uh, all of them. And even, even the president of the region's number one university, Xinjiang University, is president, Hashbalat Heib. He is a Communist Party member, mm-hmm. and he also was get arrested. And the uh, president of medical university, Halmarat Opul, he was a Communist Party member. He was get arrested, and they were sentenced to death, suspending for two years. And also, the normal university's president, uh, Azad Sultan, and the Kashgar University's president, Ergin Nobul, uh, yeah, and some other computer scientists, Uyghur intellectual, and the poets, writers, singers, dancers, and comedian, Adil Mijit. He is, uh, mm. yeah, one comedian. His name is Adil Mijit mm-hmm. because he went to Hajj a few years early. And what we heard is because he went to the Hajj, so he is deemed as the, having extreme ideology, so he was get arrested, and he was uh, now despaired. We don't know where he is about. This hmm. is the, oh, we have the name uh, around 700 Uyghur intellectuals. This uh, 700, because they are having been show up in TV, some of them having been published books, giving speech in public. So we know these people, they are most well-known Uyghur intellectuals. And what I heard is they were running up from the elementary school to high school until the university and the vocational training, all Uyghur intellectuals. A lot of them, because not give, uh, having a chance to show up in the TV, or show up in the radio station, or she, uh, written a book. So we don't know their name, but they are the majority. Wow. And they were all disappeared. It is, uh, they are destroying whole a Uyghur nation. Yeah. Whole Uyghur nation. Because we are Muslim. We have this Islamic faith. That's openly what they say. They say, uh, especially when uh, in November, the United Nations Human Rights uh, Committee asking for China for more detail about the Uyghur's condition mm-hmm. and allow them to visit Uyghur uh, in Uyghur region and the concentration camp. What the Chinese government's response was uh, to uh, to the UN and to the European country is: Did you guys see the uh, uh, Paris uh, terrorist attack? London terrorist attack, we are preventing it. We use the peaceful means to rounding up them and giving them education over there, de-extremizing these people. This is the Chinese government's claim. And, and, their, and their estimation, they're saying that simply to pray um, makes you an extremist. Uh, not eating pork yes. makes you an extremist. Um, going to the masjid makes you an extremist. Um, and uh, there are also reports that um, they're also Even placing people in people's homes. Hmm? Yeah. They're placing people in people's homes uh, to, to to basically spy on them. Now, I yeah, sleep with the Uyghurs <laughs> at home. Yeah. 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 And, and how long, yeah. when did this start? Uh, I would say uh, the Chinese government's anti-Islamic ideology started very early. Communist, uh, and uh, the, for example, the communist Chinese communist party's uh, chapter they have one paragraph openly say religion is our final goal to uh, destroy it and eliminate the religion. 
This right. is their goal. So they started very early, but the world wasn't known, uh, didn't know about it. And uh, they intensified this kind of anti-Islam, anti-Muslim rhetoric with the policy. Actually, it started from 2014. They had an anti-terrorism law, and uh, in our region, they had uh, uh, the anti-terrorism law implementation, uh, impl- uh, implementing policies specific to the Uyghur people. They have 76 uh, definition for what is the extremism. If you have an Islamic name, if you have a beard, if you are not uh, uh, eating food in the Ramadan, and if you are praying in the public place, if you are praying in the other uh, uh, so-called library or hospital, all is extremism. You can be arrested. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so in 2014, this, this really ramped up. Uh, is that also when they began placing people in, 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 in homes uh, to, to monitor whether or not they were extremists? Yes, yes, yes. The policy started very early, actually, especially for the Ramadan. When mm. I, I left uh, my region in 2003, before I left, I was a associate professor in a college. Mm-hmm. And in uh, our administration, uh, I remember it's 2001 or 2002, and one time before the Ramadan, the party boss uh, asking all teachers uh, go to the meeting room and he announced anyone, and if you are Uyghur or whatever Turkish uh, Muslim background, you cannot fast. And you have to monitor your student. If any student had fasted or they prayed, mm-hmm. uh, they will be dismissed from the school if student, and they will put on the uh, education monitoring class. Uh, and if it's not or if they were deemed as cannot be changed, then they will go to the uh, two years uh, changing uh, through the uh, labor. It's a kind of jail. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, started from the 2001 or 2002, very early. Mm. So has this, this obviously, I don't want to say obviously, um, you tell me, it would seem though that this has definitely impacted the relationships between the Uyghur and the Han uh, Chinese. Yes, definitely. Because uh, the, of the government, there's uh, mistreatment and the labeling of Uyghurs and anti-Islamic rhetoric with their uh, uh, some policy. So Chinese people always feel Uyghur is very violent people and the Muslim is violent. So they are discriminating because of the government's encouragement. They are uh, open discrimination. And then this intensified the Uyghur with uh, Chinese antagonistic to the, each other. Mm-hmm. So uh, this become a bigger and bigger problem. That's the, why it erupted in the 2009, 5th of July, because uh, a uprising and to it's uh, in the 5th of July, uh, Uyghur was shot, and in uh, 9th of July, all uh, the Chinese government giving the Chinese people in Urumqi, everyone, all kinds of weapons, uh, and encourage them to go to the street. I have a Chinese people's uh, guy's uh, diary, in this diary, the government uh, secretly giving the Chinese community, you can kill any Uyghur if you met them. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. Yes, I have the diary in Chinese, and it was given to me by a Chinese guy who is living uh, in Urimji at the time. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is this is definitely tragic. Um, uh, it is an abomination. Yes, and uh, for for uh, my personally, mm-hmm. my brother, younger brother, uh, after I left in two thousand three. Uh, my younger brother, Imam Hussein, uh, he was killed by Chinese mob in 2004 for 
27th of uh, November. And for no reason, he was there. eating in the restaurant. Yeah, he was eating in a restaurant, and the Chinese mob came in. I don't know if that was the part of the retaliation from the Chinese government to me uh, for my activism. And they came to him and they say, uh, "You are Uyghur. You need to leave this restaurant." My brother said, "I just want to have my breakfast." And they say, "We can kill you." And they started beat him and stabbed him to death on the side. And no one stopped oh, this atrocity until my brother died over there because of the bleeding. Mm. The police not show up. It is my lifelong regret because when I leave my country, I was on rush. I don't want the police find out I'm bleeding away. Right. So I didn't inform any of my relatives. Only my father and mother knows that. So I didn't say goodbye or farewell to my brother, and it became ever for hours my regret. Mm. And also 2014, because of my uh, activism in United States, they arrested my elder sister. She is a single mother with two kids. She was a nurse, and she was expelled from the job, and she was get arrested. Since then, I got lost with them, any connection. And my father died because of this all uh, trauma in 2015, mm -hmm. uh, 4th of April. And uh, after a few months, I got lost with my mother. Now and it's already been three more years. I don't know if my mother is still alive. I don't know if she is in home or in concentration camp or in jail. Mm -hmm. uh, no, any one of my family members dare to contact me. And I, uh, I can't reach them. I tried the, all the phone number I have. No, no one. Mm. Brother Ilshat, um, we make dua for you, for all of our brothers and sisters uh, that are there. Thank you. Um, and, you know, we, we definitely have to keep, uh, and, and you have to keep because you have been, you have dedicated uh, your own life, even to the, uh, even with the realization that, you know, it, it comes with such, you know, terrible reprisals. Um, so we continue to pray for your well-being as well. Uh, and as far as your brother, I just I, I could you. not let that go by without saying, you know, may Allah forgive him any errors and grant him paradise. Um, I mean, so we, we thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. And I would like for the Radio Islam family to know how they can support uh the work uh that you do with the uh, uyghur american association as well as the uh uh world uyghur uh congress uh, are there any online resources or any uh any social media anything like that that they might be able to tap into if you uh to support yeah uh uyghur american association we have uh, our website uh uyghur uh american.org and also uh, www.uyghurcongress.org for the Uyghur Congress. And also we have another one, uh, information uh, gathering and studying, uh, producing report organization called Uyghur Human Rights Project, uh, uhrp.org. And uh, do your best. Uh, we need help. We need help. Urgently need anyone of... Uh, uh, have conscious people's help, especially uh, I wish my Muslim brothers and sisters can stand up because a lot of newspaper, if you look at it, it says uh, specifically two days ago, one of the British newspapers say Uyghur is suffering, but Muslim leader is silent. And it is shame on us. Shame on us. Yes. They're uh, attacking us, attacking one Muslim is means attacking all of us, our faith. They are insulting our faith, insulting our people, uh, and destroying our culture and faith. So we need to come together to fight for justice, for freedom, for democracy. And please help us uh, by uh, visiting our website. If you can do the donation to help our organization. Uh, and also you can find a lot of information over there, uh, some personal testimony uh, all over there. So yes. thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for audience time. 
Thank you. Appreciate that. Yes, sir. And may God bless all of us. Amen. Amen. All right, Radio Sound family. Uh, that was Ilshat Hassan. He is the um, he is the president of the Uyghur American Association as well as director of the World Uyghur Congress. Um, before we go to break, I also want to let you all know about an upcoming uh, event that if you are in the area or willing to travel, that you can come out and show your support. April 6th, there will be a massive rally for uh, Uyghur Muslims in Washington, D.C. Uh, and this is a part of the work, the activism and advocacy that Sound Vision uh, continues to do. Uh, so we'll make sure that we give you more information on that as the day draws near. Uh, once again, um, Brother Ilshad, we thank you. And uh, Radio Islam family, we're going to take a short break, but we will be back in a moment. This is Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141. 0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org Sweet strawberry icing You're in goodwill and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot miniature donut earrings You lean in Ah That's the scent of shopping success. Because at Goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. Excuse me. I know you have a nine o'clock, so I'll keep this short. I'm the business suit in the back of your closet. You wore me nearly every day before your office went, quote, casual. I used to be the CEO of your closet. Now I'm just that one intern no one ever talks to. I always thought you'd circle back with me, get granular, keep me in the pipeline. But nada, nothing. Don't you remember the McKittrick presentation? You spilled coffee on me and I still looked amazing during the breakout talkback Q&A. So I think it's time for me to move on. I've got a great resume and I absolutely crush it in interviews, okay? Let's make this a clean break. Shift the paradigm. The only thing I ask is that you think outside the box here and do this. Take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create new jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alamine, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember, keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Uh, and also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will find us basically wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, so subscribe, rate, and review. And we're also on TuneIn. So look for us at Radio Islam USA. Uh, and we're always happy to hear uh, any comments, uh, any uh, critiques uh, that you might have. So reach out to us, inbox us, hit us on Facebook, Twitter, wherever. Uh, or feel free to email us at producer at radioislam.com. That's producer at radioislam.com. All right, folks. Um, I don't know about you, uh, but I was uh, very moved uh, for a number of reasons uh, and in our conversation with Ilshat Hassan uh, and hearing about the price that his own family uh, has paid and knowing that this is not an isolated incident, uh, that 
there are others who have left uh, and because they've left their families are now they're, they're they're now targets even more so than they were before so on top of having to deal with the the signs of extremism uh this ridiculous uh th- this this ridiculous concoction where to be visibly muslim muslim is to be an extremist aside from having to deal with these things now you also have the added weight of um you know of, of the government against you uh with surveillance because you have a family member that is left and then uh in brother elshad's case the fact that he has been advocating on behalf of the uh Uyghur, uh muslims uh, and and agitating that you know that they're even an even bigger target but i bring us back to uh scripture for those of us uh who are who are muslim um says uh oh you who believe stand firmly for justice as witnesses to god right and it goes on to explain even as against yourself your family your kin rich or poor uh and you know so there is never an instance where we're supposed to not stand up uh there's never an adversary that we're supposed to say they're too big uh they're too connected they're too strong we're supposed to have have faith now, what we're supposed to do and what we do are not always the same thing. Right? That's that is a reality of the human condition. But for brothers like Ilshat and and and, uh, and the sisters, uh, you know, who have left and who now advocate and try to shine light on these horrific conditions, uh, these are people who are living out that commandment. They are standing for justice. Now, what I want to uh, bring up really quickly, because we also want to, you know, it's not in the same vein, but we want to take a moment to, um, uh, we want to share the jobs report for this week, right? But before we do that, I just want to mention to you that before a people can find themselves subject to violence in the public space, unobstructed, uh, not prosecuted, with no interruption from law enforcement before that can actually happen where the people feel that they had that type of, uh, that type, you know, of, of it, it's certainly the wrong type of freedom, but I'll just say they, they have a pass, you know, they can be violent. They can take life before that actually happens. There has to, there's a process that takes place. Uh, and that process, it involves a, a very intense uh, and deliberate and focused um, propaganda campaign. Uh, there's a campaign that has to take place that paints uh, whatever group it is, whether they're Muslim, whether they're uh, Christian, whether they're Jew, whatever the whatever the the group uh, identity is. But there has to be a campaign that feeds on the fears of people more often than anything. Uh, these campaigns are rooted in our uh, just our tendency as human beings to give in to uh, irrational uh, thought, to give in to fear uh, without, without questioning, um, you know, if something, and especially for those things, those people, those cultures, those languages that we don't know uh, that are somehow made to seem frightening, somehow made to seem threatening to us. Uh, and, you know, and, and the process is that over a period of time, and sometimes it takes less uh, than others, but over a period of time, people are, um, you know, they, they buy it. Over a period of time, people started to believe that these other people are a danger. They are a threat to me. Uh, we see the same thing happening right here in the United, United States of America, where now those who are seeking safety, who are who are running away from violence and poverty, uh, in their own countries, uh, and they are trying to find, seek asylum here in the United States, we don't look at that as a humanitarian issue. We have people now who see them as a threat. Our own president to term it as an invasion, right? And we had those, uh, what, five or 6,000, whatever, the, you know, we had, we had a, a large group of folks that were making their way from the Honduras here uh, to our uh, southern border and looking for asylum. And he was painting them painting that, that 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 situation to be one of uh, as if it was tanks rolling in, as if it, we had 5,000, 6,000 soldiers on foot that were coming and that were ready to um, ready to attack United, United States citizens. Um, I want to also bring up for those who happen to watch 
the uh, president's primetime address last night, uh, and I was, of course, happy that uh, that that some of the media outlets they did the responsible thing and they fact checked uh, our president because there were many factual errors, and among them, as he took the time to try and uh, pick out instances of violence where terrible and reprehensible things were done, where murder took place, where assaults took place. Uh, and they, they happened to be committed by people who, uh, who were in the country uh, illegally, uh, that he tried to make them to be the representatives for all migrants, all immigrants. Uh, and that is a, that's a terrible thing to do. But once again, playing to the lowest common denominator, playing to our, our fears, uh, and not playing, pl not and not playing to, not looking to tap into our ability to uh, to open our arms and to be welcoming, uh, not being stupid, right? But to be welcoming and to be sensitive to the needs of those who are in need. So that's not what he was looking for. But I want to share these few quick stats with you. Uh, first off, any marginalized community can find themselves the victim. Uh, they can find themselves with the uh, un under the sights of the the majority uh and they can find themselves victims of violence that they that basically become state state uh sanctioned violence and one of the things that i have taken note of is that the violence that has been committed against uh, uh muslims uh jews um, uh, in in different places around the world it is on an uptick right it is moving up right now so if we even go back to 2017, uh, there were 950 attacks reported on Muslims in mosques in Germany, right? Now, uh, in Spain, there were more than 500 Islamophobic incidents that were recorded uh, in that same year, including incidents against women and children and several mosques. So uh, let, let's move on. Okay, so hate crimes in the U.S., right? Bring it back home. Uh, they rose by 17% in 2017 which was the third straight year that incidents of bias and motivated attacks had grown. And this is according to the FBI. Now, um, also, let's let's also look over at Canada. So reported hate crimes in Canada skyrocketed 47% uh, last year. And that was the highest number reported since comparable data first became available in 2009. Now, there are a few things that are that are apparent to me when I when I read off these stats. Uh, first thing is, this is all based on reporting. So not all crimes, not all assaults that are brought to law enforcement are actually or have have actually been processed as hate crimes. So that number that we're that we see that's going up uh, in, in three different places, well, four different places, we're talking about Germany, Canada, right here in the US and in, and in Spain, those numbers are actually probably higher than have been reported. And that should be that should be extremely troubling. That should be extremely bothersome for us as people of faith, certainly as Muslims. Um, but to understand that all it takes, all it takes is that uh, that 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 willingness to be consistent, that willingness to paint uh, a, a group as a threat, uh, as evil, as outsiders, as strangers, uh, all it takes is a willingness to have that happen. And when that does happen, you find the people acting out on behalf of uh, on behalf of a message that they feel is valid. So the anti-Muslim, the anti-Islamic uh, bias, the anti-Islamic uh, violence, Islamophobic uh, tendencies, uh, actions that we've seen manifest themselves, uh, these are all in response to, uh, in great deal, their response to the uh, this coordinated attack, this coordinated uh, propaganda machine, and these are the things that we have to make sure that we are calling out at every single moment. Uh, and uh, because if these statements go unchallenged, eventually, eventually we find ourselves um, being executed in the street executed in the street and and there is no law enforcement there's not uh, a, a single person around uh, to stop uh, these types of acts as brother Ilshat was talking about his brother being attacked 
in the public space, stabbed to death. The police didn't come. No one stopped. No one stopped the attack. We can't believe that somehow that the people in China are a different creation than the people in the U.S. or the people in Germany or the people um, where our own history tells us that. So we we have enough we have enough of a um, we have enough scarred history, enough trauma here, right here in the United States, uh, to remind us to remind us of this, and uh, we need to make sure that the numbers as we see them going up, we've got to stand up and speak out, speak out for those who are uh, who are dealing with far greater oppression right now. But we've also got to speak out right here, wherever we are, to make sure that we don't find ourselves in a similar position because it can happen right here just as it is happening in other places uh, around the world, just as, it, just as it is happening in China. So let's, uh, let's stay vigilant. Let us stay um, active uh, and, uh, and, not, and not allow for, for fears to be implanted in us. Right. Let's not let's not lose our ability to think and our ability to feel as human beings. OK, folks, um, we're going to close out today with the jobs report. Uh, and this is something we do each week. We talk with our friends over at the Chicago Urban League. Uh, we talk with our um, employment specialist extraordinaire, uh, Kimberly S. Pearson, and she has the jobs report for us. So here we go. And now first up is our uh, Jobs with App info session, and that's going to be taking place on Tuesday, January 22nd here at the Chicago Urban League at 11 a.m. sharp. Uh, we are asking individuals to be on time because we are on a very strict schedule. Uh, folks at Apple don't play. So if you're interested, it's a 40-minute uh, informational on company culture and the presentation um, and then you will hear from execs you'll hear from people working in uh, working for the organization um, and hiring managers and then the last section will be Q&A so any questions you have about the application or the process of course they're also going to give application instructions during their presentation time but if you have any specific questions you can definitely ask them at the end and so we're excited to have them this is our first time and we are looking forward to them being present and that is again Tuesday January 22nd at 11 a.m. sharp here at the Chicago Urban League and I'll give all of our information at the end um, for individuals that's looking to go into project management, um, high-end customer service, construction, uh, truck driving, we have a, I want to say it's world-renowned uh, program. We certainly have quite a few uh, impressive success stories through our construct program. And we have this program every single year around this time. We are at the end of our recruitment, but we do have a few slots, uh, slots left that we are trying to feel. Um, and this is with, uh, we're a partner with ComEd for it. Uh, you get all of the instruction you need to take that uh, really intense CAS test at the end. Um, you do have to take a tape test to get into the program. And there's a few other requirements, but if you're interested in not learning more about the program um, and how to get in, you can do one of two things, and I'm going to suggest you do the first one if you have the availability. This Friday, the uh, 11th, we have an info session here at the Urban League with the program manager. And you can come and hear all about the program, what's required, what the class schedule would be like, because there is some uh, there are some time commitments that you have to be able to make, um, and just really get all the information. And if you're prepared, you can even take the first uh, entrance exam while you're here on Friday, if you have time. If you cannot, I would say you can call us and contact. His name is Patrick Colbert. He is the program manager for the Construct program. And his phone number I will give at the end. You can ask to speak with him, and he will schedule some time to talk with you separately um, if you cannot make it to that info session. But if you can, it is this coming Friday, the 11th, at uh, 9 a.m. sharp here at the Urban League. 
And next up, uh, we have an opportunity we're offering. If you are someone who's in the thick of your job search uh, or who has been on a job search for a long time, if you're interviewing and for some reason you feel like you're just not connecting to employers and you're not getting those callbacks or those job offers, but you know you have the skill set, you've got a pretty good resume, pretty good interviewing skills or so you may think um, we are hosting a one-day job readiness here next Tuesday, January 15th, and that will start at 10 a.m. It's going to be an all-day session, so it's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's a one-day session. Um, you will get a crash course on all things job readiness, so interviewing skills, uh, resume review. We do ask that you have a copy of your resume electronically, so either save to a flash drive or upload it in Google Docs or somewhere that you can access it while you're here in our computer lab. Um, we are hoping that you don't have to start from scratch because this is really a review. So this is for someone who has a resume and it just needs to be kind of tweaked. Um, that is something that we are offering to the community right now. We're revamping our job readiness program. And in the interim, these are some of the things that we're offering. So it's next Tuesday, January 15th, here at the Urban League. It starts at 10 a.m. Um, I advise coming a little earlier, around 9.30, just to fill out a few pieces of paper, um, to do some paperwork for us, nothing too intense. And then the class will start promptly at 10 a.m. And if you have questions about those um, up, upcoming events or their info sessions, um, you can give us a call. Our phone number is 773-624-8800. Um, you can definitely give us a call and ask about any of those opportunities or those events uh, that we have mentioned. And also here at the Urban League, we are an employer sometimes. Mm. And in lieu of that, we have a few job openings that I'd like to talk about. Uh, one being our executive assistant to the president and CEO. Um, that is posted on our website. You would be someone that has a great eye for detail, incredible time management skills, the ability to communicate with everyone from the custodian to the CEO and president of the board of directors, um, and knowing how to negate all types of experiences and situations because you are the face of the CEO until you know the CEO is present so if you're interested you can visit our website and you would submit your resume and cover letter at careers at the Chicago Urban League.org um, you can also mention that you heard about it in your email from this broadcast um, but definitely want to send a tight cover letter and resume and you can get the full job description if you go to chicagourbanleague.org and click on the career section you'll see it and we also have two openings in our department one is for a career development specialist and the other is for a program manager so if you are interested in learning more about those positions and what they entail please visit our site uh, take a look at the job descriptions they're pretty lengthy and then you can go ahead and submit your resume and cover letter. And for those two positions specifically, if you have uh, interest, you can shoot me a line and let me know. Since it is my department, I can definitely let our hiring managers know that those openings are available. And we have orientation here every single Thursday at 9 a.m. sharp. We um, have a lot of upcoming programs that's starting in the early spring, and we want to get individuals in the office uh, to help us get our programs revamped by being a part of them. So if you come out on Thursday, you can learn more about our programs and our services. Um, I have some other job opportunities that I will be able to share this coming Thursday as well as next week. I'm meeting with two new employers uh, this week. So I have some exciting opportunities to discuss with you all then uh, for some really uh, big companies. And I, I, I don't know where the jobs are just yet, uh, but after my meeting with those employers, I will... All right, folks, it is time for us to go. Thanks for tuning in. We thank our sponsors over at Zakat Foundation U.S. We thank our engineers at WCEV. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.